This is the Unrationed Podcast. My name is Evan. I'm Josh. And I am Tony. Your voice was really fitting for your setting right now. Uh, yeah. You look very I am Tony like with your espresso in your hand. Is that an espresso? Uh, Americano. Americano. Just, you know, espresso and water. So, yes. But also, no. <laughs> Deal. All right. Uh, Josh, what's your wild moment from the week? All right. So, yeah, my wild moment from the week. I'm going to have to go with uh, with last night for Halloween. Um, my son, Noah, who's two years old, dressed up as a T-Rex. And he's insane. The kid is just like, the only way to describe him is wild. And so like everywhere he goes, he's running. He like is highly coordinated for a two-year-old. And so he's like jumping off of steps after he gets candy. And uh, he would do the sweetest thing last night. He would go up and I'd have to remind him to say like trick or treat and thank you. But on his own accord, as he's like walking off of the like front porch, everybody, everybody did this too. He'd pause and he'd turn around and he'd just wave to them. <laughs> it was the <laughs> cutest thing. Just this little like green T-Rex pause. And he's just got this like sweet little like, like sweet. Uh, so anyways just watch um i mean both of them was were watching was really really cool they were both dinosaurs um but noah just had like a special energy about him last night that just like he was so excited so wild and so yeah i'd have to go uh go with that as uh, my wild moment for the week tony how about you halloween is a good one i i'm gonna go with uh yesterday just being being a first day of as an entrepreneur, is that is that right? Was it? Yeah, yeah, Are you yeah. I think so. I mean, you were my, you're no longer my boss, Josh. Is that right? I feel like yesterday was your first full day that you acknowledged, accepted, and are committing to the path of being an entrepreneur. I think that's right, and it reminded me of this moment back in 2013 after I. Uh, quit my job, sold all my stuff, took a backpack and a one-way ticket to Bangkok, um, intending to spend a year uh, just traveling and doing things other than having a job. To my, my idea back then was to see what would happen if I freed up the time and energy um, to, to, see, you know, to see what else was possible. And there was a moment back then, about a month after I left, where I had had these anxieties around what other people would think or what um, what people might say to me. And there came a moment where it just sort of clicked that nobody was paying attention to me, that nobody actually cared what I was doing, that nobody was coming to uh, really for, for better or worse. Like, like I, I was on my own in a new way and what was going to happen going forward was up to me. And I felt that feeling yesterday afternoon as well in a way that, that was again, fresh and it's an exhilarating feeling um, of like, okay, like, let's do this <laughs> because there is no cavalry coming. <laughs> 
it's uh yeah let's go hmm. it's like that moment whenever we realize or the many moments i guess we realize the world revolves around something other than us uh i think that's one of the things from adam's return one of those acceptance that it's like this dual you are not important and you are important acceptance that's what that reminded me of and i think we've we've touched on that my wild moment from the week was so we had my brother and sister-in-law and their two kids stay the night on friday for like kind of a halloween celebration they have a three-year-old and a one-year-old we've got a two-year-old and a one-year-old so we had four kids running around having an awesome time and uh so they you know uh my daughter and her cousin slept in the same room and we were really curious what what that was going to be like it was our first time doing a sleepover like staying in the same room we shut the lights off and those kids were just out <laughs> they played so hard there was no like post so uh going to bed playing which we were all expecting like oh they're just gonna play for a while before they go to no they were out and they slept a long time uh so the the wild moment my wild moment actually came the next day um my brother and sister-in-law and their kids they were going to this outdoor mall for some trick-or-treating on saturday morning and grace and the kids and and i were staying home just to kind of be at the house uh clean up do our thing and olive my my daughter our daughter was like, I want to go with them. And we were like, all right, do you guys care if she goes with you? And they're like, no, she can come with us. It's like, okay, well, put on your costume. So she puts on this Elsa costume. Uh, my wife braids her hair. She And she's just ant, unbelievably excited. And she gets in the car and she goes. And my wife and I are just in tears. Like our daughter just wanted to go somewhere where we're not going to be and she's like there she goes and it was yeah. just, it was a very odd feeling that um i i think we'll have a lot of those feelings and it just it goes back to the fatherhood thing i think we talked about at whether i don't know if it was last episode or the episode before but it is like setting those boundaries and then being okay when they cross it's like for a while you don't go anywhere without dad and now you're going to a mall getting candy from strangers without dad and um <laughs> it's it's pretty nutty and it yeah. was it was good and right it wasn't a bad thing it was like it was amazing so the tears were like joyful and emotional yeah. and like eye-opening of just how ki- how quick kids kind of grow up so that was my wild moment from the week it's great. It last fast, night. Man. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just saying it goes by fast. Yeah, yeah. Last night, my mother-in-law came over and interviewed me for a research paper she's writing. She's uh, getting her master's degree and is writing a paper on finishing well. So this is top of mind for me. I thought we could riff on what it means to finish well in this episode. And she said something interesting to me as we began the interview, which is she found it hard. She was fine. She's having difficulty getting men to answer these questions or like getting men to say yes to the interview about (laughs) finishing well. Um, So like 
three in particular been like no thanks and and like could totally caught her off guard like she has a relationship with them you know whatever and so we kind of had a discussion about why that may be um and maybe we can get into that in a minute but i i thought i'd throw out a first question josh tony what does it mean to you guys to finish well whenever you hear finishing well what comes to mind well, I have two thoughts that immediately come to mind when you say that, and they're both on very opposite ends of the spectrum. The first one that comes to mind is I used to play soccer, played in high school and college, and finishing well always meant like leaving it out on the field, right? It didn't matter if you were three, you know, down 3-0 and there was two minutes to play, you better go, you know, balls to the wall still. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter right? Leave it out on on the field. So that comes to mind. (laughs) And then the other thing that comes to mind is my inconsistent approach on house projects. Um, And so I'm currently in the middle of one right now, which is building built-in bookshelves around my fireplace. And it takes me like nine months to finish a damn project. Like this project (laughs) should have been like a month, maybe, you know, but for whatever reason, I like get all amped up to start to start doing it. So I like am great at demo. Um, I really enjoy demo days. And then, you know, I started like framing it in and it's just like, I do one little piddly thing and it's like hard with kids. I could totally blame it on kids, but this has been like my married life of house projects. It's just like, they take three to nine months. Um, and normally I don't finish all of them until we sell the house. So (laughs) those are the things that come to top of mind when you, uh, when you say finishing well. My wife has a joke. She calls me an 80 percenter. Like I get the job, the house project, 80 percent of the way there. And then once we sell the house, I'll get it to 100 percent. That's really interesting, Josh, is I am the same way. And that's something where I think of us as different, but we're we actually are, you know, like it we were in our current house. We decided to build our bed and our mattress was on the floor for more than a year, which we were fine with initially because we you know, the kids at the ages they're at, just like letting them use it as a play space, right? Um, but yeah, and actually it was Seville who got that project over. But to, two two things that come to mind for me, one is a race, right? Like finishing a race well, which tends to, um, for me, look like not necessarily leaving it all out there, but... Um, I like to think of it as having my last mile be one of my best miles and ending with a smile. You know, that those are the two things. So there's like a quantitative and a qualitative approach to, to finishing a race. Well, um, the, the speed and the attitude. And then I was thinking creative projects, but it house projects are, are creative projects as well. Um, which is, It is the crossing the finish line in a reasonable amount of time. It is that not letting perfectionism get in the way, not letting myself get too distracted. And so it's like laying out how long the thing should take and then adhering to that in, in a way that things don't drag out the way that the Josh or just fall off entirely. 
So it's like defining what done means, like what good enough means, since perfect is not you know, attainable. And I know we tend to think in perfection. So it's like, yeah, what's good enough? Uh, when is it done? And then when is it reasonable to cross the finish line with those parameters? You said we tend to think in perfection very nonchalantly. And I don't know that I've ever heard that said, but it rings true. Where where did where did you get that from? Did that come from somewhere? Do you have more to say on we tend to think in perfection? And then how do we go from thinking in perfection to thinking in more realistic? Or is there value in thinking in perfection? This dovetails with the work on creativity. And, okay. and education, where our education system teaches us to pursue the one right answer. And if you provide any answer other than the, the right answer, you know, you're going to get the red X. So I think we do get trained to think that in that binary, there's right and there's wrong. Right? And if we can find anything wrong or imperfect with what we're doing, then it must not be right. Right. So it's not good enough. And uh, the war of art, you know, the, the book I reference more than any other resistance, that force that pushes back on us when we're trying to put up some shelves or, or finish a race. Um, it loves perfectionism because it's, we can do that, you know, ad infinitum, right? There's an asymptotic quality to, to our work where we can approach perfection, but we're never going to get there. And so if we can find imperfections, any little imperfection, um, you know, resistance can still use that as a way to say, oh, it's not ready. It's not done yet. Mm. That's not my problem. I mean, if Josh is an 80 percenter, maybe I'm more like a, a 63 percenter where it's like, you know. <laughs> Evan, how did you respond to your mother-in-law's questions last night. Yeah, I I may have had a tip of the hat from her just because of our our conversations leading up to the interview, but I I don't know if I was primed or if I mean I was primed in some way, uh, whether it was my mother-in-law or a men's conference that I went to, not a men's conference. I went to a retreat uh, years ago where I was like one of two men in their 20s and and most of the men in the room were in their 50s and 60s and beyond and so one of the presentations was titled finishing well and it was very focused on death like what it means to live a great life and finish life well which i think everything you two have touched on could be very quickly and easily carried over into that interpretation of finishing well i don't i don't think there's a right or wrong interpretation of it so but but my initial response was i think of finishing well when i think of it i think of dying like death being the ultimate finish um and it very quickly moved into the inability we have to know when death is actually going to arrive so it's this remembering uh, of death this, this reminder of death that points me to the present moment and i think what it means for me to finish well and 
in that context is to be present with what's in front of me at all times, like a loving presence because we don't know when or where the finish line actually is. So uh, that's not the case for everybody. Some people do know when that finish line is. And I think, Tony, to your point, like the running the last mile, um, having it be your best mile with a smile on your face. If I were to know when that finish line, where it was going to be, that's how I would like to finish. Uh, having it be my best mile with a smile on my face. So maybe I just can constantly run my best mile with a smile on my face, uh, not knowing if I'm going to cross that finish line today or tomorrow. But yeah, that's kind of where my mind went. And then, so I'm going to, I very quickly went to threshold language though. I didn't like the word finishing uh, because in everything we've just talked about, the asymptotic asymptotal how do you i don't even know how to use that word in in the way that you did tony i know asymptote i asymptotic asymptotic i think think is not yeah i may be making that up though and i i realized that earlier i i used the word cavalry but that's not even a word and that's been bothering me since (laughs) i said that since the word is cavalry (laughs) (laughs) love it uh okay so the asymptotic nature of finishing, I think, is even like it, it is more a threshold or a transition from like a, even a, a marathon. I, I think we could use the shelves, the marathon, all the examples you guys were giving, the games. There is a line that is crossed where you're no longer running this marathon and you're now post marathon. But most likely you're still on your feet walking somewhere like the distance that you're you could continue measuring your distance uh who's to say uh that actually is the finish line it, it's very arbitrary in it in my mind so i don't like i i got to the point where i wasn't really down with the finishing language and more down with the transition language of going from this to this like and then navigating that threshold between the two so going from the shelves not being done to the shelves being done there's a threshold there it's like now what uh type of language that i i think i'm thinking about more the next day after after the interview does that spark any thoughts for you guys yeah um i think it's interesting in high school and college I was obsessed with the mindset of like, leave it out all, leave it all out on the field. But I feel like ever since I started doing ultras, it has shifted my mindset towards life substantially. And I think it was in April, I did this, uh, my first hundred K. And I think I shared on a podcast about, I think we were talking about baseline fitness. And I talked about after the race, and going through the airport the next day and how I was like, you know, limping, hobbling along, my feet were a wreck, but I still had a duty that day of like helping carry luggage or carrying my son, no matter how slow I went. And so I think the the nature of the ultra, which is a completely different mindset in terms of enduring that I appreciate a lot more. And I think it's more in alignment with what you're talking about, Evan, and that like 
there are only transitions from one journey to the next or different um, ecosystems, right? If you're doing a hike in the woods, you might see five different ecosystems, a rock field or, you know, really thick thicket, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. And so I think that has been, um, you know, over the last 10 years, something that I've really leaned into in that I'm constantly building up my baseline fitness in every activity that I do only so that I can do, you know, the, the activities that I choose for a long period of time. And the other thing too, I realized that death isn't a huge motivator for me. Like it doesn't like, like, I don't think about it a lot, which I don't know if it, that's like good or bad, but it's not, uh, yeah, not a motivator for me. So I think about it in terms of, I think more of what you're saying, this like journey and thresholds that are more, uh, I don't know, motivating for me on my day-to-day life. Tony, do you think about death? Sure. Yes, probably. Um, well, Josh, when you say that, are you, I guess, what comes to mind is having an awareness of death that as opposed to, did I refer to this last week when we recorded Milan Kundera's definition of kitsch, which is that which denies the existence of shit, uh, that I, I think a, a lot of, I don't know if I should say a lot of people, I think there's a, a seductive quality to the idea of just ignoring the existence of death, that it doesn't exist, that it's not, it's something that happens to other people. And um, Tolstoy explored that uh, beautifully in The Death of Ivan Illich, where this guy just gets sick and he goes downhill and he dies and it kind of tracks that experience. And this man, as he's descending, being like, I was fine like two weeks ago. And now why would this happen to me? Like, so like just that a lack of awareness that yeah, that yeah death is something that's going to happen to you um like i i don't sit around thinking about my own death but i do feel like a lot of my decisions and particularly big decisions are influenced by that reality that yeah. it's a my i'm trying to make the most of my life because as far as i know i get one shot at it and there will be a finish line to the thing like that's going to happen. And I want to make sure that right before that finish line, I can look back and say, I took a proper crack at it. And that definitely influences how I make my decisions. Yeah. Maybe I should also clarify what you, I feel like what you just shared helps bring clarity to my thoughts, but um, I think I'm more motivated by dying in life not dying in life meaning right i could show up for work dead dead to the world and that i despise right i i want to avoid that i want to push that away like i don't think i'm gonna live forever i feel like i'll have a shorter lifespan than probably others for whatever reason but you know being like showing up for my family and just being a zombie and not really alive like that just that is a huge motivator for me and i think influences my decisions more so than the transition to an afterlife 
Um, whereas I'm hopefully preparing myself for that moment, but it's not that moment that is motivating me. It's to prevent those moments occurring in my day-to-day life. The way that you talk about your ultra is very similar to the way that you talked about death now, which is something that comes to mind often for me, which is when I think about death, I'm, I'm less concerned with myself and more concerned with the people that are still alive that I uh, love and, and care for. So Josh, you finishing your ultra was less about, or, or maybe not less about, I should say, you were also thinking about the next day and walking to the airport and being able to carry luggage and be there for your family. It seems as though there's an aspect of finishing well in terms of life and death that's like, how can I still be there for my family or, or you know, and, and whatever that means, even after I'm gone. Yeah. Tony actually helped me realize this um, with work with uh, like all the stuff that he does for LinkedIn, helped me create a, a process. And as he was helping draw out what I enjoy talking about or writing about, a lot of it was lessons learned that my true motivator, if I was to look at it, is to be able to have um, an artifact or a series of artifacts that I can give to my children and say, you inspire me, right? These are the things that I learned from you. So anytime you're in the, in the dumpster, if I'm not here or your mom's not here, you can go back to these things and remember how powerful, how amazing, how inspiring you are. And so I think, I think what you just said, Evan, is, is a huge motivator in that, you know, we can't control all the things that, you know, when we're gone and out of this world, but hopefully we can make it a pretty tidy place or as tidy as we can and hopefully, uh, you know, leave bits and pieces of us for those that we leave behind. You just gave me an idea for a project uh, where I think I've, yeah, I've told both of you about my uh, Khalil Gibran's uh, The Prophet uh, video book idea. Yeah. I've thought about making my own I have in, in the back of my mind writing something like that. And then what you were just saying made me think, oh, I should do a video book for my children. That's my own writing. Doing my best impression of Gibran. Ooh, yeah, that could be really good. That could be really good. That, that will be really good. It's going to be the greatest book ever. There's, uh, so the future is wild based on looking at uh, the last 50 years, just like how fast technology advances. And I've been listening to more and more podcasts on like the state of AI or automation and things like that. And people are using language models to upload conversations and writings of people that have died and then having conversations with them 
as if they're still alive. Um, and they're very meaningful to the people that are doing this. And they're like, it's oddly accurate as to how the person would respond. And I do think in 20 years or so, these things are going to be productized and services. And I don't know how I feel about that or not, but having recorded and published over 100 podcasts, me having conversations with people, I'm like, in the back of my mind, the more I can do this, the, you know, my, if, if, my kids or whoever could have a conversation or uh, get a an idea of what it would be like to ask me a question. It, it's very intriguing to me, and I don't know how I feel about it all, but it is like in the back of my mind as we record and publish podcasts, like what's going to be able to be done. I think there's more value in what we're doing here than we actually know. Wow. <laughs> I feel like I don't know how I feel about that either. My initial sentiment is both like that's really intriguing and interesting. And then I also get an immediate to use a, a word from Tony's sister about king energy. I feel like kind of icky at the same time. Like, man, that's really bizarre. But all of that is going to change how we think about creating and what is real and what is art i mean all our conception of those things is going to shift dramatically like you're saying evan in the next 20 years with the the images like video audio all of it it's where we are crossing a threshold into another where it's a these tools are absolutely incredible. Yeah. I choose to view them as opportunities for us to get better at our crafts, which I, I saw an argument to that effect recently. And I'm going to go with that because to go the other direction where it's just dystopian and we, yeah. we, we can't trust anything. Um, that's too depressing to, to really uh spent too much time and so let's let's think about how we can effectively leverage them to make good things nourishing things happen yeah. yep there my brother um talks a lot about like um visualization so he was a f-15 pilot he's a skydiving instructor now and you know, just the, the power of him thinking through his movements or how he was going to, you know, manipulate the jet. And so when Tony, you were talking that it made me think of that and that we do need to visualize the future and think about how we're going to respond to it. So that when we are in those moments, we're going off of, I guess, semi muscle memory, <laughs> um, you know, to be able to get into emotion rather than just like being absorbed into whatever the new craze is. So I think that makes me tie it back to the finishing well in that there is a key element of thinking about how we're going to cross the finish line that is a motivator or how we're going to cross this threshold um, so that we 
we do it with grace. We do it with knowing that we've, my soccer coach used to say this, whenever you score, just act like you've been there before. You know, you don't need to go crazy. Like you just won the world cup, but just, you know, you're a pro. And I just always admired that. Um, but there is something about crossing the finish line. Very, very exciting, but it is just a threshold. Um, you know, and there, there will be another race. There will be another journey. Um, you know, but we got to put ourselves in that moment before we ever get to that moment. Yeah. You're reminding me of something that I believe is over a door at the tomb of St. Peter. It's inscribed in Greek. And Brian Murescu is an, as an author, he would say that this is the key to immortality or the immortality key this inscription, which is if you die before you die, when you die, you won't die. Oh, baby. And there's a visualization aspect to that. And a, a very literal, I, I mean, I, I think you can take that in a lot of ways, but whenever I heard you talking about the visualization, it is it's like, if you score before you score, when you score, you won't score for soccer. You know, like it is, you've been there before. You're navigating something that is familiar so it is it, it doesn't need to be death uh it can be something that's familiar and recognized as it's navigated as our thresholds are navigated so i'd like to leave us with that today yeah if you die before you die when you die you will not die oh <laughs> Cool.